nodding in and out of smiles like a narcoleptic comedian. I need to stop drinking out the same water I'm puking in. Like a box of matches in a world of lighters, I'm a loser. Occasional robotic bloodhound, fully employed boozer. A story with no plot. Guys, welcome to another episode of Escaping Tyranny. I'm joined along uh, by Nick Kirshen, a friend of the show. He's the third episode. And uh, I'm also joined alongside radio announcer for the Las Vegas Aviators, the AAA affiliate for the Oakland Athletics, Russ Langer. Russ, how's it going, man? It's going great. Nice to be back in Albuquerque. Yeah. Are you from here originally? I'm not, but I did go to uh, to school here, uh, and I well, I started at New Mexico State, which okay. might cause some of your listeners to bail out. But um, no, 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 we're we're all Aggies. Aggie heavy. Yes. Aggie heavy. Oh, okay, yes. then Perfect. then that's good. Then maybe that's will work the opposite way. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> then then maybe they won't be thrilled to know that I transferred to UNM and graduated ah, okay. from there. Gotcha. Uh, but then I can't. I left, went to New York, did some other broadcast related stuff, and came back uh, in 1996 to broadcast for the Albuquerque Dukes. Okay. And then when did they? When did Albuquerque become the Isotopes? Two thousand three. Two thousand three. Yeah. Okay, so they the were Dukes the actually Dukes. left town. They the, the the franchise moved to Portland. Really? After okay. the two thousand season, and then so there was no Triple A baseball in Albuquerque in 01 and 02. Gotcha. And then they opened the new stadium in 03. Interesting. I wasn't aware of that. Well, let's get into a little bit more about you. Um, I'm I'm excited because you know I get to do media stuff. I don't do anything live. But what got you into being a radio announcer, what what was like the calling there? Did you play ball? What what got you into it? Well, my love of baseball and sports in general goes back to when I was a little boy, and I got the message when I was probably about eight that I wasn't going to make it as an athlete. <laughs> so then it became all right. What what can I do to make a living and stay in the game if I can't play? Sure. I, I thought a little bit about uh, the, the uh, writing and and being a, a reporter for a paper. Or for some publication, and um, I had so, I think I had some ability there. I was told I did, but then I had an increasing number of people say, "You you have a pretty good voice. Maybe yeah. you should consider something like that." No, I can feel that right now. It's it's amazing. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, it's it's served me well so right. far. Right. But um, then so then I I decided okay that's the path. Then I grew up. The other the thing that kind of enhanced that and accelerated that desire was growing up in Southern California uh, in the Los Angeles area and having a chance from the time I was quite young to listen to Vin Scully. And and, uh, that just, I I just hearing this man paint word pictures and tell stories. And we would often go out to Dodger Stadium to watch. And back then, um, people brought transistor radios to the game. And you could sit basically anywhere in the park and sometimes outside the park and you could hear the broadcast because there were so many radios tuned to Vin Scully and I thought that was so cool just to sit there and hear that reverberating and I would sit and watch the game and I'd look up in the press box and I'd see him up there broadcasting and then the the inning would end so he has a break and he's taking a long swig of some beverage and I'm thinking That'd be nice. Yeah. I, I think I could do that. Yeah. I think I could handle that. Yeah. So then that's what he and I've luckily I've had a chance to meet him several times. Um, he became a friend later on, and so I've had a chance to thank him personally for inspiring me to to, to do this. Yeah, that's so cool. It's funny. So uh, I don't know if you know about the Connie Mac World Series in Farmington. New Mexico. Yes. That's where I'm from. And I thought it was silly that my granddad would show up to the stadium with a radio and listen to what they're saying. So like, you know, they, they, you guys have a different perspective of what's going on on the field. So it makes sense now, but yeah, with Vince Scully, I totally understand why people would 
listen to that at the stadium and listen to the game. Yeah, but, he's a legend. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. So um, tell me about how you got affiliated with um, Vegas and, and why you're out there now. What what got you into Las Vegas for the Aviators? Well, because of the fact that I never played professionally and because of the fact that my dad doesn't have a famous last name, right? <laughs> uh, I had to take um, a different path to to make any any real progress and so for me it began uh, in single a ball and for those of your members of your listening audience who worldwide who, memberships okay good, good. <laughs> that's, that, that's that's great so yeah that, which means you even have people in in Bernalillo I sure hope um, but anyway um so the uh the fact of the matter is that um I had to. I worked in single A ball for three years because entry level. So just because of the levels, single A, double A, triple A. Mm-hmm. So I, I spent three years in single A ball, and then got to double A in the Texas League. Uh, I worked in the Cardinal organization in A ball in Springfield, Illinois, a franchise that no longer exists. I spent one year in the Florida State League with the Vero Beach Dodgers, a franchise that no longer exists. Wow. Then I got to double A with Midland, which was an Angel affiliate, Midland, Texas. Spent two years there. They, they're the only team I've been with that still exists. Wow, okay. <laughs> and so I've jumped off a lot of sinking ships, just, just, <laughs> just very lucky that way. And then I got to AAA, and that was the Phoenix Firebirds. They were a Giants AAA affiliate. And I would have stayed there, but the, when the Diamondbacks announced they were coming, there were territorial issues, and the AAA team had to leave. Oh. And so the AAA team went to Fresno, and that's when the Dukes job opened, and I got the Albuquerque Dukes job. And I, I was here for four years in that capacity. And then that franchise left, as I mentioned earlier, went right. to Portland. It just so happened that as the, the, the early in 2000, I think it was March, uh, which is very close to the start of the season, very unusual for there to be an opening for a broadcasting position sure. that close to the start. And we're talking two weeks, two maybe three weeks. And I found out that that job was open. And I thought, well, if I stay in Albuquerque, there's no guarantee that the new owners of the franchise will allow me to go to Portland yeah. and be the broadcaster, um, which is just as well because if I'd gone to Portland, that franchise disappeared also, wow. and they're gone. So, so then I, I came to Las Vegas, um, and that's uh, that. It started back in 2000. We were a San Diego affiliate, became a Dodger affiliate for eight years, uh, Toronto Blue Jay affiliate for four years, a Mets affiliate for four years. There's a lot of fun with the Mets affiliation uh, for a variety of reasons, and then uh, and then now ever since 2019 we've been an Oakland Athletics team. But that's how I got to Las Vegas, just trying to work my way up and 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 uh, be kind of a survivor. Yeah. Well, with some franchises that uh, uh, that for one reason or another didn't make it. Well, and the, the name has changed of Las Vegas while you've been there a couple times, right? It has. We were the Las Vegas Stars, which was the original name of the of the franchise dating back to 1983. And then when we changed affiliation to the Dodgers in 2001, um, the people who owned the team had this marketing idea of thinking outside the box. And let's not stick with a conventional name. So what can we do? So the name Rat Pack came up, and that was discussed with the Las Vegas connotation. And the owners didn't really like that very much. And then it became, okay, what else? They tried, I guess, different angles with regard to gambling, and then they ended up thinking, well, there's Area 51, so why don't we call them the 51s? 
So it became the 51s. Okay. And it, that was in place for 18 years. And then we moved into the new stadium, which is a beautiful stadium. Recently uh, voted the top minor league stadium in in the country. Oh, wow. I yes. didn't know that. It's two straight years. Not, well, you can't count 2020. There's no season. But 2019, <laughs> its first year, and this year, it was it was a, made that uh, it earned that distinction again. That's when the new owners, the Howard Hughes Corporation of the team, said, we're going to do a complete rebranding. We've got a new affiliate, Oakland Athletics. We've got a new stadium, and we're going to have a new name. And we're now the Las Vegas Aviators. The name was selected as a tribute to Howard Hughes himself, one of the okay. great aviators of all time. Yeah. Wow. That's, I mean, a lot of information right there. That's awesome. Uh, oh, he's got plenty of information. No, this is great. Yeah. I was about to say, I'm, 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 <laughs> it's like I'm just trying to digest yep. all this. great. Um, good, good color right there. Good color commentation. Thank right you. There you go. <laughs> There you go. Just piggyback off there. I'm a. Uh, I'm a. This is my interview for uh, Russ's co- color commentator. So there you go. <laughs> this is my tryout. Uh, so now <laughs> you wanted me to be. I, I know why. <laughs> so maybe you can explain this to me because I'm. I'm not really aware of it. I didn't realize that affiliations switched as often as they did. What What causes that? Does do those players switch then, or what What happens there when they change affiliates from you know the Mets to Oakland or whatever? It's changed now. Uh, it used to be that individual minor league teams would enter into what they call player development contracts or PDCs mm-hmm. with major league affiliates. And the PDCs would run either two or four years. And after that period of time was over, the two sides would renegotiate usually to, to either extend the contract or the city would try to find a different affiliate. The affiliate would try to find a different city at whatever level, a single A, double A, triple A. That's the way it was forever. Yeah. With Major League Baseball's takeover of the operations of the minor leagues, uh, which has been the source of a lot of, uh, well, controversy, quite honestly, um, that's all changed now. The major leagues have kind of dictated, okay, uh, Oakland, where do you want to be? Padres, where do you want to be? Minnesota Twins, where do you want to be for your different levels? And then, you know, teams work it out amongst themselves, the major league teams. But essentially, we were chosen by Oakland. And now, uh, so that some of which I'm saying is the minor league team doesn't really have a say in who their affiliate is any longer. Okay. And the other uh, development uh, that's related is that they are all 10-year contracts. Okay. So we're locked into Oakland for almost another decade. Yeah. And, and we hope that's a good thing. They've, they've always provided the AAA uh, team with a lot of competitive players. Uh, although in, in the Oakland front office, some of that's, some of the personnel have changed. But, um, you know, it's, we don't have any control over it. So we just go out and, and, and enjoy everything every day. Yeah, and enjoy the process. Yeah. So tell me, you know, because 2020 was a wild time for pretty much everyone. If it wasn't a wild time for you, you know, you might be the oddball. What was 2020 like uh, for you in your job? Like, what happened there? Because I know, like you said, there was no season for minor league. Does that affect the contract that you guys have for the 10 years? Or what What, what happened with you for 2020? Um, it didn't affect the contract because the contract really begins, this whole new operation begins as of 2021. Gotcha. So the, the, the contractually, there was no, uh, there was nothing really to discuss there. But for me personally... It was uh, it was very difficult, obviously, with so many people getting sick, and and as everybody here is probably tired of hearing about all the things that, that happened, but and it was especially hard. We we bought a house one mile from the from the new stadium, mm-hmm. so and because we live so close, we would drive by the stadium 
multiple times a day and it was just a very eerie feeling yeah with this magnificent new stadium earning all kinds of accolades and knowing that in 2019 the community as i mentioned to to nick a few days ago responded in such an overwhelmingly enthusiastic way we had 47 sellouts wow in in 2019 which is almost unheard of we, we did things you just don't hear about in the minor leagues selling out on a sunday uh, it rained on a monday night which delayed the game we still sold out um wow. it, it was incredible so um but it was it when you had all that excitement then it goes to you know you're going from 120 miles an hour to zero right it, it was uh, it was tough. Yeah, it was tough. Uh, the silver lining for me is that uh, I've got a two-year-old son, mm-hmm. and um, I was able to spend a huge amount of bonus time right. with him, bonding and and with and spending time with him and my wife. And um, I'll never get that back. I never get that opportunity back. I would have been on the road. I would have missed him taking his first steps. It, it's it's. Uh, um, so that was, if there's something positive to come out of it, it was certainly that. Yeah. And I've heard that a lot from, from new parents that, you know, they, they got like a, a, a mandatory pause essentially to, to sit there, like you're saying, and you get to see that development. And that's, that's really awesome. I'm glad to, glad to hear that. Or like you said, if there's any positive out of 2020, that's, that's great to hear. So tell me about, uh, your journey. I, I, I read something on uh, Instagram the other day and it, it was a quote, don't know who it was by, but essentially it was, are you willing to suck at something first? And the way I took that was everyone, when you start something, right? Like if you played baseball, like Mike Trout wasn't always Mike Trout. <laughs> like he was, you know, he, he had to start playing baseball at some point. What was your journey like? Do you have uh, any re- like memory of, you know, maybe I, I wasn't that good and, and I became better? What did you do to become better in your job? Uh, tell me a little bit about that, your development. Well, I'll start uh, turning with a kind of a, maybe not directly related to what you're saying, but, mm-hmm. but somewhat, and then we'll get into that, that part of it. Um, as I mentioned, I tried, I, I, I played baseball uh, up through the time I was in high school. And um, the reason, again, as I do, that I do this for a living is because um, there were times when I had good days and a lot of times when I didn't have good days. Sure. And so I think that that's helped me probably become a little bit better as a broadcaster because the failures that I experienced as, as a player instilled in me a type of empathy. Sure. When I see a guy strike out, I really understand. Yeah. When I see a guy break his bat, I really understand. Yeah. When I see a pitcher struggle with his control and walk, I had a situation where I remember when I was, I think it was 11 or 12 years old, I was pitching in a game and the, we had like a five to two lead, and the manager said, "You want to pitch the last two innings?" I said, "Sure." So I pitched the it was six innings in little league. I pitched the fifth inning, got them out in order. I go out for the sixth inning. I get the I first first guy pops up, second guy strike out, and I got one more out. Sure. And I I, I decided to get cute with sidearm stuff since I walked a guy, and then I'm then I'm thinking, okay, don't throw sidearm, just do your really regular thing. But then I'm now I'm kind of off kilter, so I walked another guy. Then I walked another guy. And then I walked another guy to force a run, and now it's 5-3, and the manager took me out. It, if you'd hit me with a wrecking ball, it would have hurt less <laughs> than that. So when I see that kind of thing go on in the field, yeah. I really do understand, and um, I, think, I think that helps yeah. a little bit. But as far as what you're saying, I think that's, there's a great lesson in there that, um, you know, I think it was Confucius who said, our greatest glory is not in never failing, but in rising up 
and getting back up every time we fail. Sure. And and it's that's true with anything. I think everybody who's ever been born in the history of planet Earth has a talent. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're if you're uh, autistic, if you have Down syndrome, whatever. It doesn't make any difference. Everyone has a talent, mm-hmm. and I think it's important. Uh, to try to identify first of all what the talent is and then try to uh, engage in a career or embark in a career that is related at least to some degree in what that talent is and if you do that I think you're better off and everybody around you ultimately is better off also absolutely I mean that's yeah the 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 point of empathy I I guess I didn't even consider that That, that's huge right because if you have someone for me for example I'm not the biggest baseball fan in the world but you know if I watch and I go oh that guy struck out and it it doesn't hit me the same way so that's I think that's awesome for for your job and what you're talking about because you're able to relate and and really just understand the game um has there been a point like in your career that you're like I need to change up something that I'm doing was there anything that um you know, did you ever pick up like a thesaurus? So you're like, oh, I, I need to have different terminology as these things are going on. Um, tell me a little bit about that. There's no question, and you just hit on a very important point for what I do for a living. It's very important to stay fresh in your descriptive technique. Right. So I try not to fall back on cliches or overusing a certain term. And sometimes I catch myself saying something, and then I'll think to myself, I already said that earlier in the broadcast. I already did that twice yesterday or something. Uh, so that's that's really important. Uh, when I, I've been interviewed for several big league jobs and come very close actually uh, several times. And one of the things that I, one of the reasons that I get interviewed one time, uh, it was the, the Tampa Bay team several years back. And um, just to try to set myself apart, I, in addition to sending in my uh, audition materials, um, I typed up, I think it was, I'm trying to remember the number, a list of more than a dozen different ways to describe a ground ball. Yeah. For example, and, and fly balls. And so I had, I had these all these sheets that I included in the packet, and I ended up getting interviewed, and um, I came really close. But it, it, the good thing is at least the two guys that they hired going back more than 10 years are still with the team. Yeah. So they they obviously happy with the choices that they made. But that's if you're talking about adaptation or being aware of of changing or or maybe um, being willing to to not be locked into a certain way of of describing things. I think that's really important. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and on that thread, Russ, I've I've been in the booth with you, not with a headset on, but just you know watching you work. Um, and you have a uh, an old hourglass timer that you use. That you flip over every so often, and and so can you tell the tell the listeners what what that is all about? I thought that was really cool, and obviously when I was up there, I asked you about it because I was like, "What are you doing? You gotta you gotta you got a clock on your wrist. You don't need to be keeping track of time with an hourglass." So yeah. that's that's a, that's a great question. When I first started getting into the business, I became friendly with John Miller, who was the uh, Baltimore Orioles radio broadcaster, is now with the Giants. Spent many years doing ESPN Sunday Night Baseball with Joe Morgan and 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 John I'm proud to say is because he's a friend of mine is now in the Hall of Fame and he he showed me that trick because he said you have to remember a lot of broadcasters let their egos get in the way and they they want to believe that people are sitting down listening to them from innings one through nine and realistically 
no matter how good you are, that's almost never the case. When people are tuning into the game, they're generally tuning in for 5, 10, 15 minutes at a time. They may be on the back patio barbecuing. They may be doing housework. They may be gardening, whatever it is. They may be in the car and flipping the stations around a little bit. And a lot of times, if you put yourself in the position of that average listener, they want to know what the score is. On TV now, it's not the same as it was when I was growing up, and you didn't have the score consistently on the screen at all times. So the TV announcers had to do it. They don't have to do that anymore because the score is up there yeah. all the time. Um, but with radio, you have to you have to do that. So the hourglass is there to remind me of how often I give the score. And I and I often will not wait till the, the sand goes all the way down and just flip it over and give the score. Because you can't, <clears throat> of all the things, and I'm this is 34 years in the business now, I've heard all kinds of comments made about all kinds of broadcasters. I like his style. I don't like his style. I like the way he does this. I don't like how he does that. <clears throat> There's one comment I've never heard about any broadcaster on the radio ever. I don't like that guy. He gives a score too often. <laughs> I've never heard that. <laughs> if anyone has ever said it, but then I, it has escaped me. Yeah. So I so that that's the reason. And um, you know, there's there's all kinds of of, of uh, philosophies about that sort of thing, or about do you say no hitter if the guy's throwing a no hitter, <laughs> or or can you affect the outcome of the no hitter from the booth <laughs> by the words that come yeah. out of your mouth? You know, there's a there's a lot of different things related. That that's so cool. I I wouldn't have considered that because like you know our our generation, I don't I don't remember there ever being a time, you know if we if we listened to the game like I said, I was there and and we were watching it so I knew the score from the scoreboard. But if I also was watching it on TV, it was always there. It's something I don't ever think about because our generation just didn't have that. So that's that's amazing. Um, something I, I I deal with on this podcast and I understand. You and I are not the same. <laughs> I do this as a hobby. You do this as a living, and that's and that's fun. But something I get a lot from like my buddies when we're you know doing this podcast is they'll be like, "Oh, and so this guy did this," and right now no one can see that my arm is sticking straight out, and it's like I have to then describe what is going on. You as a broadcaster, how I mean, you have to be descriptive. Tell me about you know the the things that you have to talk about the the preparation. You know what goes into painting the picture of the game that's a great question um, I've done a lot of TV work we, we do 10 games usually a year and I've been doing various TV work for a long time and I think it was Ernie Harwell who described the difference best he said that television is, is a director's medium and radio is a broadcaster's medium uh, because it's really up to us to paint that picture. Yeah. TV you're providing verbal captions for the picture that's already there and radio you have to paint that that picture uh, and th this was I was helped by two things early on um, first of all listening to Vin Scully who was very descriptive and I learned about when to be particularly descriptive and when to go off if it's a blowout game you're, you still want to describe and give the score but you want to tell stories to try to keep people engaged if it's eight to one in the third inning um, yeah and they, the other thing that helped was I was when I worked for the NBC radio network in in New York uh, back in the 80s uh, I had the good fortune of meeting Marty Glickman who was not only an outstanding uh, broadcaster in various sports in his day and actually Marty Glickman's a fascinating character he was a, a track star and uh, went to the 1936 Olympics in Berlin um, 
and and because of his faith, uh, you know, they, they they were upset about uh, will will Hitler how will he feel about it's you know Marty Glickman being in the it was it's a whole thing. If anyone is listening, you want to. It's a fascinating story, but uh, and it's a, it's widely available on on the internet. But um, he was he mentored people like Bob Costas and others about the fine points of description. And I was lucky enough because I, I worked at NBC to in my earliest games in single A ball to bring the tapes to him and physically in person sit down with a tape recorder and have him say, okay, you did this well, but what about this? And I, and I learned it's, it's critically important if it's a if you're doing a basketball game, and and because I had him hear, listen to some basketball and some baseball that I had done, and I and the basketball, I thought this is pretty good. I think Marty Glickman will like this, and he may have, there may have, been, may have been some things about it that he did like. But I said I, I said Stevenson gets the rebound, passes it out to, to Anderson, and he stops the tape. You said he passes it out to Anderson. Was it a bounce pass? Was it a chest pass? Was it a bullet pass? What is a looping lob pass? What, what? And I thought. All right, yeah. that's what I've got to do. Yeah. And in baseball, you know, it, it's it's so important. I think again, when it's a blowout game, you want to talk about anything but the game. Um, you yeah. can talk about your day at the beach or a day at the mall. But when but when and you talk about background information on the players. But when it's the ninth inning, and you should do this throughout the game. I think for the most part. But when you turn the your burners up on descriptive uh, action, is when it's the ninth inning and it's a one-run game and the bases are loaded, you want to go into full description mode. Yeah. The pitcher bends at the waist and rotates the ball behind his back as he, as he squints in for the sign. The batter is a, you know, is a six-foot, four-inch, 230-pound uh, Justin Stevenson who had big league time, and he's going up there with no batting gloves, and he's, he's spitting on his hands and rubbing them together. He looks like a big man getting ready to chop down a tree. You know, this is what you want to, it's a theater of the mind. That's yeah. what Marty Glickman taught me. Yeah. That's what radio is. And uh, you, you've got to, you got to do that. And it's, uh, it's very important. And, and the nice thing is I've been doing it long enough, but it's just a lot of it becomes second nature. And I have, I just have a lot of fun yeah. doing it. So, so then tell, tell me about that, right? The, the, the eight to one in the third is what you mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Those days probably are a little bit, um, not as fun. You probably sit there and you, you, you're trying to get through the game. Maybe almost. You obviously have a passion for it. What is the the fun for you? I understand like a great game might be one of them, but is there anything else like you know you you have an extra amount of fun when this happens? Like what is what is the the super fun for you? Believe it or not, the most fun for me has to do with it's even the, the broadcasts are fun every day regardless of what kind of game it is yeah uh, and sometimes the the eight to one the blowout games can be just as fun yeah. if you are prepared right because if you if you because when I get to the ballpark I have to I, I compile my a list material my B list and my little mental check notes and uh, and I go from there because I don't know what kind of game it's that's the beauty of the game it's right you have no idea you're sitting down to watch a movie for the first time you don't know the plot right and um so that's that's really important um but uh, you can you can have fun in in, a game, in games like that if you are if you if you have stories to tell yeah and, and a lot of, i like to get into historical tidbits because a lot of listeners like that yeah and and i'll i'll look and see what's what's happening in this date in baseball history and if i think it's interesting 
a particular story, chances are most of my audience will too. Or I'll talk about baseball-related birthdays. Or talk baseball in the current sense. What's happening? Do the Yankees have enough pitching to win the division? Or the Do- do the Dodgers no, have a chance to repeat? <laughs> More brilliant color commentary from Nick right there. Right. Did you go to graduate school to learn that? No, no but uh, but uh, actually, um, but that's what it is. You can talk about current events, and now with rule changes and everything, there's all kinds of things to talk about. Yeah. Uh, and so that's uh, that's good. But the fun for me, really, the the most the thing that I'm going to remember when my career is over more than any game. There'll be a lot. There've been a lot of amazing games and amazing players and individual plays that have been remarkable but it's the people as corny as that might sound the people at the ballpark yeah that, that you come the the people the the parking lot attendants the people the ticket takers you get to know the ushers um, the people the press box attendants and people like that um, w- when my time is finished whenever that might be I'll, that's what I will miss the most yeah I'll miss the games and the broadcasts and the players and and sometimes some of the camaraderie but um, it's going to be uh, it's going to be the folks yeah. That I'll miss. There you go. So, and that's, that's the fun as well, right? Like, you know, you talk about a, a baseball career, you only have so much time physically to do things. And with like the beautiful part of, you know, being a broadcaster like yourself, you can do this for a very long time. Do you see yourself slowing down at all? You're, you're still gung ho. Everything is fun there. Yes. Yeah. Perfect. I think, I think I'm, I'm, uh, my doctor tells me I'm in good shape. Perfect. I still, and, but, <laughs> but it's even, what's even, was just as important, if not more important, is that when I come to the ballpark, I still get that little tingly yeah. feeling that I that I got back in 1987 when I first started. I still feel like, hey, it's a ball game. I get to broadcast the ball game. Yeah. I still have that. I still have that sort of boyish sort of uh, approach to it. And um, as long as that's there, I'll keep doing this. And and just as you say that tingly feeling, and I, and I know I don't want to uh, abuse your time here. I just wanted to ask. So I always tell people that, you know, there's things that you get nervous and nervous is good, but it's, it's, it's got a border on excitement. You shouldn't just be nervous. Like, do you still get nervous in what you're doing today? I, the idea of going on the air is not something that I'm, I'm really nervous about anymore. I, at, for when I first got into the business, I, there were times when I was nervous sure. and, um, there were times when I was faced with situations I have never been faced with before and I was fairly petrified but now I, I don't really get nervous now when it, I don't know if nervous is the right word but in a tight game late when things can go either way uh, I feed on that energy yeah. because that's it's there and especially now that we're in a stadium that we're in where we have major league caliber crowds there's a buzz yeah. in the crowd and you and you have I have my windows open so I'm I'm experiencing that and I can feed off of that and um, so I wouldn't call that nerves yeah but certainly it's healthy energy absolutely Russ this was amazing this was uh, absolutely awesome I appreciate your time and thank you, uh, you thank know, you for having me yeah this was great uh, guys this was another episode of escaping tyranny and uh, we'll see you guys next time If you look, and if you don't shake my hand, I'll put it back in my pocket.
I'm gonna write a book, and I don't care if you read it. I'm gonna make a movie, I don't care if you watch it. I'm gonna wave anyway, I could care less if you look. And if you don't shake my hand, I'll put it back in my pocket. I'm gonna write a book, and I don't care if you read it. I'm gonna make a movie, I don't care if you watch it. I'm gonna wave anyway, I could care less if you look. And if you don't shake my hand, I'll put it back in my pocket.